has a good question here, but don't you have to play for the audience in the end? And and the answer is yes. And so and this kind of goes back to a question that Noriko had posed about like how do you how do you change your performance or what changes about your performance when you're in front of an audience? Can you discuss how the existence of an audience affects musicians' performance? Yeah. And so, and that I think dovetails nicely with Micah's comment here about don't you have to play for the audience? So the idea is not to ignore the audience, right? Or to purposefully try to go against the audience. the The idea is to be in full acceptance of whatever is happening wherever you are. So if that's at a rehearsal. And Chris Potter walks in, and you're you were feeling pretty badass right before Chris Potter walked What's in. What's up, Chris CP? Yeah, and then you're like, oh, oh, okay, well, okay. There's a heavyweight in the room, and so now I have to whatever. Like just being accepting of all that. If you're in front of fifty people, and maybe that's enough to like affect your concentration or you being present with the music. Yeah, that's that's bad news. If maybe that threshold is like five hundred people. You know, mm-hmm. and you can't be present or comfortable. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't be with the music. And when you are able to be present and comfortable and be with the music, you actually are then with the audience. Like your job is to translate the music to the people that are in front of you. So you have to be able to be present with that music and with the audience. You have to be able to be with whatever is with you at the time. That that is the yeah. goal. So it's not a matter of shutting out the audience and just just focusing on whatever it is you want to do or playing things that are difficult because that's for you. That's not, that's not what we, what we mean, Micah. We actually, you can craft a whole performance that's very, you know, uh, very schmaltzy and clickbaity to an audience and still be present and mindful <laughs> as you're doing that. In fact, there are whole performers in Branson, Missouri that make their entire living doing just that, you know, but they're yeah. amazing performers who are totally that's present. That's the gig, though. That's the gig. Exactly right. So it's not really about not playing for the audience it's really just about whatever it is you're presenting to be with it and 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 mindful of it yeah that's great stuff and i think you know when you can start to make the transition from the audience being well maybe at first being fearful of the audience and then the larger the audience you know your logical part of your brain will tell you oh i have to be more fearful you know, it's like if there's three people there, oh, not a big deal. If there's 30, oh, okay. And there's 3,000, oh, I should be really fearful. Why? What difference does it make, actually? You know, in terms of like, if you're afraid that your story is not going to be, is not, like, if you if you haven't convinced yourself that you are willing to like serve the music to the best of your abilities on that particular live performance day, then you're going to have trouble really you should have trouble with kind of any kind of audience because you're not putting yourself in the same, in the kind of right mind space to be able to have the the chance to be able to reach somebody you could play that's for right. 3000 people and just reach one person and that's a successful performance you know like it's kind of out of your hands at a certain point you could also do a performance for 10 people and reach all 10 of them versus playing for 3000 people and reaching nobody you're better off playing for the 10, but that's not really up to you. You might play the exact same thing both times. Hmm. So your job, our job as musicians is to put ourselves to, to accumulate the skills, to do the practice. Let's talk about some practice, you know, to really, but then also put on the mindset of a servant, right? So now I'm here to serve you. Just like if you go to a dinner party and you're the, 
guy with the white jacket and the you know the whatever and you're you're holding the tray your job is to serve and to make people feel like you know that's your thing it's not really to be like hey like you want to have a chat no you're there to serve drinks so same thing with music we are here to serve up the music that's our 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 job so as long as you're doing that you know it really doesn't matter the size because it's not about oh am i going to be embarrassed am i going to mess up see that's when you're thinking about it's you now it's yeah. not as easy to just do this i'm i'm oversimplifying because what happens is this becomes like a lifelong journey to try to get to that point but i think that that's what makes being a performing artist in the moment so exciting and then especially when you layer in all the improvisation that we do that really makes it exciting because you're out there on the tightrope right yeah. So yeah, we we're we're usually on gigs where it's not playing something simple by rote, but it's like, you know, depending on where you are that day, the whole thing is has changed. So Yeah. Yeah. And then what happens is it doesn't have to be this long arduous journey to get there because there's another element to being able to draw on the the energy of the audience. And so once you start realizing and seeing it as a positive, the more people that are there as opposed to like, oh, this is more chance for me to be embarrassed because I'm going to mess up, then it becomes more of a like, wow, more people, if I can pull them in to what we're going to experience together, I can actually use less energy. It becomes less and less about me. It becomes more about leveraging all this human energy that's there. Not to get too mystical, but come on, that's this is reality. And when oh, I was yeah. young musician, I heard the older musicians talk about this and I was like, what? I remember my dad even talking about this, you know, with playing with the symphony and stuff. And he would be like certain audiences, just the energy that's there and the energy. And I think a lot of times symphony musicians understand this better or like big band players because they're used to playing with a bunch of different people where you get in the habit of that energy. Solo piano or pianist, yeah, we're playing with a smaller group or whatever. You have the energy amongst each other, but you might not be able to translate that in and start to make that bridge to the audience. But it's very real. And once I started experiencing that, it became very exciting. So I looked at, at the only difference between a big audience and a small audience was more chance to kind of harness or connect with more people and it's harder usually because you're in a bigger venue if you're at the village vanguard 120 people small venue but you've got that close connection it sounds great it sounds like all everything is physically set up for you to be able to succeed so that's pressure because it's like you, you don't have any excuse and be like well they couldn't hear me or the piano wasn't any good or it's not a hip venue or whatever but that's when you really got to just jump in there and be like you know what this is the time for me to do my job you know do uh, as great sean jones always says Wait, hold up. Here, here we go. Where, where is he? Right there. Sean Jones. He says he even has a hashtag, do your job. You know, that's what our job is. You know, serve the drink. Serve the drink. We're, we, it, it's really no different. Yeah, no, Fred Hirsch in his first masterclass said, you know, if you're thinking about the, the monster musician that just walked in the room, you're not doing your job. Your job is to focus on, you know, communicating that music to an audience, no matter what's going on around you. And I, that's, again, easier said than done, but... I think real success in this, Peter, is feeling nerves, which we all do at certain points, no matter how yeah. big you get or whatever. There's always a moment. I mean, you know, like so, like I hear you talk sometimes about like when you played at the White House, right? And I'd be like, man, I would be so nervous to play in front of like President I was. Obama back in the time. You yeah. know what I mean? So like there, there is always going to be a situation where you could be nervous. The, I think the success in this area is when you can be nervous you can acknowledge and be there with your nervousness yeah, and then still be yourself, right? You can say, okay, ooh, I'm nervous. Yeah. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, that's kind of a, an energy that I maybe don't feel all the time anymore or whatever, whatever that is. Or yeah. even if you do feel all the time, all right, here's the nerves. This is where I get nervous. Can I, can I be here with the nerves and also be here with the audience 
and be here with the music most importantly and with my fellow musicians as we make this this art another thing i want to say about this too is something that helps me with this is is being in in the audience of shows of big shows and yeah and kind of putting myself in the shoes of like the piano player in that show and what you realize is like most every show i go to i'm rooting for all the musicians on stage <laughs> i want them to take me on a journey yep. and I can, you know, when you see a nervous musician, someone who's obviously being affected by it, I'm like, oh no, dude, like we're totally, I'm not here to judge you. Like, I want you to just show me yourself and, and tell me the story. You don't have to be nervous. Like you can even make mistakes. I'm totally cool with that as an audience. <laughs> you know what I mean? In fact, right. I, I love that. I love when people take chances and mistakes happen, but they still stay with it. You know what I mean? So just know as you're, got, as you're about to perform that the audience is, is far and away rooting for you to succeed. And you're not, and it's like, you're not even going to let them down if you make a mistake, right? Like yeah. they just want you to confidently guide them through this story. That's really all you have to do. So if you consider your performance, your, your gig, your concert, a story for them, right? You're, you're playing all this, this music, all these sounds, which can be a story. And in some cases, like actual songs, which are actual stories. Like yeah. if you can confidently take them through that. Just know that they are they are wanting you to hold their hand confidently through that. That's what they really want. They don't want you to be perfect because we don't want, you know, I don't expect perfection out of any human being that I know. But I do uh, prefer it when someone is confident in who they are and they are just telling their story in a way that's honest and real. And sometimes if I'm feeling nervous, I might even like kind of project that a little bit not i won't play with fire too much but i'll even just kind of like acknowledge that that's here even in my playing or or you know in, in a way that's that's real to me you know yeah uh, i find that helps so much absolutely um all right here's one we're maybe going a little different direction here um can new pieces still become standards uh what what, what would you say to that manis i can't hear anything I have no idea what I'm playing, but I was, I just started playing uh, Roy Hargrove's tune, oh, yeah. Strasbourg Saint Denis, and uh, yeah. yes, new pieces can be standards. I would even say maybe even I don't know, Peter. What is what is your? Am I playing it right? <laughs> yeah, no is that take the A train you're playing? What is that? Oh, what is that? God. It's not a good. I think for a, for a certain demographic, that that might become a standard. Well, you're, you're, you're too kind. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that absolutely they can become standards. I think what happens, I think, you know, Saint-Denis, Strasbourg Saint-Denis is that's kind of a real easy to see and logical pathway to a jazz tune becoming a standard by kind of modern standards by it being kind of a combination of being really strong, melodic, clear content that like, um, usually attached with some kind of really prominent and primal groove. And by prominent primal, I mean something that my wife, Kelly Mart would be like, oh yeah, I like that. That's the kind of jazz I like, you know, yeah. not smooth yeah, yeah. jazz, but like, you know, something that makes you tap your toes in some ways. <clears throat> I think, oh. I think it's harder to become a standard when it's so um, inside or cerebral that there isn't some kind of like just normal person toe tapping kind of music. I, and just having that doesn't mean it's going to be a standard, but it's got to have it. So you look at Rue, I mean, I keep saying Rue Saint-Denis because that's what I call it when I'm working on it in Paris. Mm. But um, Strasbourg Saint-Denis, um, Saint-Denis, that 
has the groove, you know, boom, boom, stum, 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 you know, you can feel it, you can hear it, you know, it's a great thing. And then a real, and now this is a little, that was a little unique in that it's a little bit of a complex, almost unsingable melody. Normally we're talking about standards being something like anybody could sing and like can yeah. recollect and you hear it, you want to hear it again. It's it's haunting in there. But I think this one, because of the repetition of it, the way that it rhythmically sits within the groove, but those things combined with it becoming like a jam session favorite. So you've got the musicians. It's not just about the listeners, the musicians. We're all listeners and musicians in a way. And this is talking about connecting with the audience. The musicians want to play that, even though it's not their song. Like that, I think, is the sort of missing link, which makes it a standard. Because then it's going to keep being played in different situations. If it's got lyrics, it will be played by instrumentals. If it's instrumental, somebody might put lyrics to it. Um, I mean, I heard Rue Saint-Denis this like acapella high school group doing that on YouTube. It's actually really good. And they transcribed um, Gerald Clayton solo and like acapella, acapella lized it. It's like pitch perfect gone mad. It's like pitch perfect went to the village Vanguard and they did the whole solo and everything. And so, uh, you know, I didn't get any more standard than that. I think. Yeah. You know, it's, I was just thinking like, it's an interesting time for the the term standard. I think it's actually, I think we're closer now to having like regional standards pockets of players that have standards than we than like ever before because even in the 70s and 80s you know all of the beatles catalog a lot of stevie wonders catalog even michael jackson those tunes those pop tunes became standards and i think really since since the digital revolution right and and there just aren't there's just not going to be another michael jackson and the kind of music that you know the the biggest pop stars make is not really it's not, it's not very uh, conducive for like a jazz jam session, right? But there's still yeah. some like Strasbourg Saint Denis. There's still some jazz standards that are kind of taking hold. I'm thinking about even amongst um, young musicians here in St. Louis and Kansas City, basically in in the Midwest. Uh, our friend vibraphonist Peter Schlam has this really simple tune called REL. Every young musician I know knows that tune. <laughs> like wow. th they all want to like sit in with Peter and play it. It's a killing tune too, by the way. But I, I would imagine that just with how segmented the listening audience of jazz has gotten in the past 25, 30 years, I would imagine that there are regional standards like that where, you know, some really popular players who make beautiful music that might be, you know, and then they come across a simple tune like, like Roy's Strasbourg Saint Denis. And, uh, you know, you could see how that would become a standard. But I think the idea of taking a pop song, just because pop music is so segmented now, too. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. just not, there's not going to be, you know, a, a thriller. <laughs> there's just not, right. you know. Can we check this out for a second? I don't know if this is going to work because, you know, of our illustrious. Uh, can you see that there? Oh, my gosh. If you ask me if I can hear this and I can't hear it, Peter, I, I can't go through this <laughs> or, again. Or can everybody hear it? <laughs> this, is this, this is what we were talking about. Whoa, damn, that just fell down. Okay. I can't hear it. I can hear it coming through your speakers. Okay. Did you share the audio? Did you do the Chrome tab and share the audio? Can you hear it better now? <laughs> uh, 
Oh, I got to share the audio. Sorry. Come on, man. It's your first time on StreamYard, Peter. Come on. Dude, we're, sw- we're, we're switching streaming platforms every, every you know. Oh, uh, let, me, let me try to do that. Uh, Nobody can hear it, said Troy Talk. <laughs> He didn't even say I can't hear it. He's just like nobody. Nobody, could hear it. nobody could hear it. Okay, let me let me let me let me try it again here. Why don't you talk to the good people while I while I try to get my bleep together? <laughs> this is a good album, John uh, Herbie's new standard from nineteen ninety oh. six or seven. That's such a great record. Yeah, exactly. So if I go, yeah, okay. Beatles and Stevie J Word. Okay, here we go. Bam. I can learn. I can learn. There it is. Of course, their name is Syncopate Shit. It's Aka Fabulous. I look these, these are high school. It's really impressive for high schoolers. It really is. This this is Gerald Clayton's solo. The whole solo. The one we start on the inside. Ta 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 
I mean, so there you go. There you go. Jero played solo. <laughs> oh man, we've, we're <laughs> look at this. Look at Steven. You guys are making me think I should drop out of open studio. There's nothing jazz about this. Okay, Steven. First of all, <laughs> calm down. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm very impressed with this. I hadn't watched this in about a year or two. I don't, I don't remember how I stumbled upon this, some kind of YouTube recommendation, but I was. You know, you have to be careful what you click sometimes, but I was very uh, – like somebody put some time into that. And I compared it with – well, I'm going to pull up – There's the, an amazing – that, you know, that solo is so soulful and funky, and there's just an yeah. amazing juxtaposition with just the fresh-facedness of a high school a cappella group singing that solo. That's great. There's something very Andy Warhol-ish about that whole scenario, you know? <laughs> It's like the cast of Glee doing Nirvana or something. It's, it's just <laughs> there's something about it that's that's very entertaining, but also not quite right. Right. But the thing was, too. Okay, where? I'm just gonna play a little bit of. Oh no, this isn't the right one. Sorry. Um, I want to see if I can find this. I remember after I saw this, like I sent I sent uh, a text to um, Gerald Clayton or an email or something. I was like, "Yo, check out what these kids did with your solo," and like for whatever reason, I'm sure I've done this to people too. I'm, but like two weeks later, he emailed me back. It was like, "Cool, thanks." <laughs> it's just like I don't think he really watched it, you know. So I have to send it to him again. <laughs> it was very, very like kind of obligatory. No, I thought they had put so you know what that's actually and it's not the solo from the album. I don't think it's from the YouTube video. It's from the YouTube, right? Or, yeah, I guess it's from a DVD. Uh, but it yeah, was but famously that was, that was put back up on YouTube again. I'm just trying to find it. Maybe this is it here. No, that's not it. Oh. Screenception. Streamception. Look at that. <laughs> Can we have nice We're things? professional outfit here. <laughs> that's not the one anyway. That's not it. That's not it. Anyway, if it if it if it appears again, I think there was a there was a thing of like um <laughs> I don't know. You know that one that was up there that that was taken from was up for years and then it got taken down. But I thought I, I'm sure I saw maybe it keep, comes on and then goes and whatever. Yeah, it was like the best. It was the best marketing you could ever do for buying that DVD. And they were like, can't have this up. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't don't want people knowing how good jazz is. That'd be silly. Yep, exactly. Yeah, cool. I'm, so Joe's making a good point. I'm wondering, like, if we get dinged for just playing the acapella version. Because remember, we... When we, we listened to Ear Food on the sesh. Yes. And we ended um, by playing like um, basically that the, the that version of Strasbourg Saint-Denis from the DVD. And we got like immediately dinged on the stream. Right. Do you remember that? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know why? Haters are going to hate. Haters are going to hate. No, but I don't know what what makes it because YouTube was like, was there's nothing jazz about this. I was watching our friend Rick Beato the other night. I think I texted you, and he was listening to the extended John Coltrane's live on his 2 million-plus channel. 
and didn't get it, it, it stayed up stayed on as far as i could tell so i, I don't know yeah oh yeah he was jamming out to to uh blue train so that's why i was like you know what we're gonna try some listening here <laughs> 